Welcome to the Voice of Aged Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Badgick Smith, Aged Care Psychology Consultant. I bring my background in psychology, clinical experience, and latest research to this podcast, which is shared in stories, strategies, and solutions to the widely underestimated problem of isolation and loneliness in late life. I truly believe that supporting well-being of our elders is a shared responsibility and that we can help the older person achieve better outcomes for their well-being and do our best by being our best and looking after ourselves. I'm glad you're here. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Voice of Aged Care. Today I have a special guest, one of the pioneer diversional therapists, and I'm so lucky to have her in the studio with me today. Loretta Kendall, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. I'd love for you, I've learned a lot about you just by preparing for this interview and I've known and I've heard about you for quite a long time, but would you be able to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and what led you to work in aged care? I think I fell into diversional therapy, but I started my life as a school teacher back in 1957-58, and at the age of 19, I was already teaching. But then uh, I had met my future husband, got engaged, got married, and had my first child before I finished my bond. So then I had four children to raise and a husband to help, and that took for the, took the next 25 to 30 years of my life. So I was nearly 50 before I actually became involved in diversional therapy. And uh, it started from trying to teach arts and crafts to older people and then moving on to working with people who were living in residential care. And I just loved it. I loved working with older people. Uh, My parents were a similar age and... It was just wonderful. Uh, They were very responsive. But I also realized that everything I did with them was really important to adapt. Whatever I was teaching, we just had to adapt it, but we couldn't make what we were doing childish. So there was a huge challenge there to actually produce activities and present activities that were adult, but we were dealing people with multiple disabilities. And something I only learned about you this morning is that both you and I started our experience in um, aged care facilities at the same home in, in Sydney. So how did that opportunity come about for you? Again, it probably came by accident. Where I was working, they'd actually, uh, the um, occupational therapist uh, had heard about me and rung me and said, would you be prepared to come to this facility and do arts and crafts once a week? And I'd already been working at an art centre and had already had some uh, experience working with older people with disabilities. So yes, I went along and that was when I realised that I could do it, but we have to adapt And so I wasn't going to be teaching them traditional knitting and crochet and sewing, but I would then have to make 
and design um, activities that would work. And at the same time, I was observing what the therapist was already doing in terms of exercise and outings. And the person I worked with, uh, who was the coordinator uh, was very advanced and this we're talking early 1980s and she had U3A coming but then we had levels of ability there uh, so we had people who did have some dementia we had people who were independent and then we had a middle group of people who were probably frail aged but nevertheless whatever I was going to present had to be had to be adapted. And that's, that is where I got this concept too, that I need to document everything I did. I not only needed it to give to my manager, but I actually had to document what I was doing so that they could see that uh, it was in the program and it was relevant. And I could also um, use that to reflect on whether it was successful or not. So if something I did was working well, such as the concept of colouring a picture by a famous artist, an outline, and that worked well, I might redo that activity. Or we would do uh, an activity where we did painting to music and I worked with the music therapist. So everything I did was documented. Uh, and that became the basis for my very first book, which I launched in 1994. I had left that particular place. I'd done, uh, I then had another job for 10 years, again doing this time general activities including arts and crafts, uh, because there was funding for people at that facility who had dementia. And that was that was really good to be able to do that. And so I got the experience. But what I also realised uh, later on, it's all very well to have done 100 hours for DTA and be accepted, but I really needed to go on and get myself better educated. So that's what I did. I I enrolled at um, Charles Sturt University and did distance education and got my degree in leisure and health. That was and, back in two thousand and one. Yes, and you were you were sixty then. I was sixty when I graduated, yeah. and and. Even before then, I was already being asked to do education for staff and I was producing books. Um, one of the books that I produced uh, or self-published was already a textbook in the course that I was enrolled in. So I really found that very, very funny because they were, aren't or they weren't then manuals that told you what to do and gave uh, people who were doing the job in leisure, they actually needed ideas and they needed ways to do it. And so I did it, I, I, start, I began to see that we needed Australian content and we needed pictures and we needed programs. And so your, your training didn't stop at Charles Stewart University. Uh, you went back I went back. Yeah. Admittedly, it was 20 years later. Uh, I went and did uh, my diploma in dementia care. But prior to that, I'd had experience working for Dementia Australia, which was at that time only New South Wales yes, branch. Yes, I remember, yep. But I 
I have the responsibility uh, of providing activities for a group of people who had the diagnosis of early memory loss. So I was running activities for a group of people in various geographic locations and the carers were getting help from psychologists and counsellors and um, getting help to actually manage the people, the family that they were dealing with. But I had, I had to, and I had various good partners with me to run the activities. And I had to think of what are we going to do? How are we going to run the day? And at, it, it created an opportunity to plan. And as I planned, I documented. And so I kept writing more and more books. Uh, and then I realized there was a market out there for books. But the books had to be based on my, a background of knowledge as well. Uh, and even after I left working for Dementia Australia and then enrolling uh, and doing the Dementia Care Diploma, I realized the ideas that I had and things that I'd tried – um, it, they validated everything that I was trying. And I realized I'd probably made some mistakes, but it didn't matter. The beauty of the whole thing is that I was able to and encouraged to try things. Does this work? Does it work with this type of person? Um, and also realizing and, and learning on the way about the different types of dementia that people have. And Dementia Australia also gave us a very good educational background. They had lots and lots of workshops and uh, educators with good handouts. So, And I was doing that and at the same time going into nursing homes and aged care facilities and imparting some of the education that I had. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like it was about your ongoing learning and development and then putting that into practice. Exactly. And so... I suppose you have very kindly said I was one of the pioneers in that only 17 years prior to me starting, the only way that you could get any qualifications was doing 100 hours of in-service. Right. And I had a boss at one stage who paid for me to do that. And so I got my 100 hours. But then as I said, as time moved on, I realised you need you need to be educated. You need that academic background. And that's where I feel that we must encourage people to go do their cert for, but look out for other courses and get qualified. If you can get as far as getting a, a, a proper degree, that is excellent. We are so short of degree qualified people or getting a degree that aligns with leisure and health because there's such important people uh, in an aged care facility or in a day centre or working, uh, looking after people who are living at home. So many people with dementia are still living in their own home and they're dependent on people coming in to, to do things for them, but they also can send them to adult day centres. So in order to provide those activities, they need people who are 
understand leisure as well as understanding dementia because dementia is the most important uh, disability uh, that is there and are very often combined with other uh, aged care onset issues. So when you went that first day, if I take you back to that first day when you were on site at that um, organisation doing art and craft programs, your first impressions then, was it, did you feel, yes, I can do this? Or did you feel, wow, I need to learn how to do things a bit differently and adapt? Or what were your first impressions back then? Well, my first impression was I had already had a little bit of volunteer work behind me. So I went in there with a plan uh, of what I was going to try and do. And I knew that we had all the right materials, that we had paints and we had coloured pencils and the tables would be set up and people would be encouraged to come. My first impression was, though, this is going to be a challenge and I have to change how I'm thinking and I have to improve uh, on what I was doing. So, when, but when I looked around, there was nothing to guide me. So the thing is, I really had to, it was trial and error. What was also interesting about this particular place that they got me for the morning to do the arts and crafts. So I probably spent about two hours doing that, setting up, uh, organizing people uh, and releasing them back to their home back to their room for lunch or whatever. And then they wanted me to do one-on-one with various residents. And that was very good because it wasn't just doing the activity with somebody who uh, might have had a stroke or just really wanted to chat. So we did a bit of colouring and cutting and making, but it was all about this one-on-one talking to people and it was a connection. So it's it's more than the activity. It's actually connecting with the person and knowing that you might see them again next week, giving them something to look forward to. So the activity has so many components to it. It's not just the activity. That's beautiful. It's the relationship that you build up with people. Absolutely. That's so beautifully said. And, and, and I, I also know that, you know, from my experience with young kids and, and them doing arts and craft, it's so interesting, you know, just to see how, what they get out of it and how children also can recognize each other's work without, you know, they go, oh, yes, you know, Tommy did that or, you know, yeah, Helen did that without no names. They can actually, there's so much connection within the artwork across the lifespan and in aged care as well. What you talk about, it's about those relationships that you've built as well. So that's beautiful. That is. And uh, just this week, I went into my facility to do an art lesson and it works so well because I'm treating my people who are in various stages of dementia from mild to fairly marked. But the minute I walk into the room, I've already built up that relationship and they are accepting that Loretta's here or we're going to do something nice. So I have the pencils ready. Coloured pencils is my favourite tool. Uh, I had a picture for them to colour of the lady with the pearl earring. So I had, it's an iconic picture. Mm -hmm. 
And I'd just seen a program on TV about it, and it is the, it's the Dutch Mona Lisa. It's so iconic. And they would have all seen it at some stage, somewhere in their life. So I had that picture, and then I had a colouring picture for them. And they all just took on that challenge, and they they didn't all finish it, but they were concentrating on doing it, and it they must have worked for at least an hour, which is a fantastic amount of concentration that is required to do something for an hour. And in the meantime, we're chatting and talking and they're having a cup of tea and we're just having the best time. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Now let's briefly talk about your lovely husband, Stephen. Yes. And I believe he has illustrated all your books Yes. So it's a partnership of nearly 62 years, which is quite amazing. Uh, but my husband was a GP for 30 odd years and he was uh, also deep down in his heart an artist. So, um, so he, he gave up medicine and concentrated on his art interests. And we just worked together. So I needed outlines for all my books. And he also had experience doing cartoons. So a lot of the books that I've written have got some funny pictures in it. And I would just say to him, can we have a picture about ideas? And then he's got a a picture of me pushing a, a, a little train thing with our uh, with our ideas and uh, and all sorts of objects coming out of it, and I've got a badge on me that says DT. It's just fun cartoons, fun ideas, and so that when people look at the books, they are seeing more than just words. They're getting ideas, but they're getting a little bit more than that. And then when I needed pictures that I thought were relevant to the topic we were talking about, like reminiscing or he would be talking about a season or going to the beach, he would just simply do the pictures for me in black, uh, just black and white outlines. And remember, there was a time when I was writing these books, but you couldn't just steal it off the internet. (laughs) Uh, People do that today. But uh, copyright was an issue. So he would get a picture uh, from somewhere or he'd just use his imagination and suddenly we would have a nice black and white picture to put in the books. So we might have spring or winter or going to the zoo or going to the beach. And I would, these are all scattered through the various books that I've written. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, you guys just going to have a little break with Loretta and we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Monique from Dahlia Dementia Gardens and Support, based in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. I recently attended WiseCare's Enhancing Emotional Wellbeing in Dementia workshop, which was online but felt as warm, welcoming and inclusive as if I'd attended face-to-face. The day was filled with lots of information, strategies and tips that Julie so generously shared with, with us all. One of the key things I took away from me on the day and really helped me was around empathy. I thought there was only one type of empathy out there, but it is actually, there is actually three, cognitive, emotional and compassionate. It was great to learn about these three different types of empathy and how I could use these in my work. Thank you, Julie, and I look forward to attending another one of your workshops in the future. Okay, we're back with Loretta. Now, we spoke about your early career in, uh, in art 
craft programs and pro- and then transitioning onto diversional therapist. And I know you worked across a number of different organisations here in Sydney. What I'm interested to know <laughs> from you is, could you ever en- envisage when you started back doing arts and craft that you would be where you are now with all these books behind you and all your experience? No, I couldn't quite. But I have to say this to you, that when you train to be a teacher, once a teacher, always a teacher. And it was always my desire from an early age to teach. And so I had to find things to teach. So I've had a variety of teaching experiences, but also I had a large family. of. I had four children and many years later had uh, uh, many grandchildren and their best thing was to come to Nana or to come or do things with mum or that my friends would send me their children and my house would be a mess. But it didn't matter because everybody was having a fun time doing doing activities. So I think the teaching gene is there. And then when I got to older people, it didn't matter that they were older. Their brain works maybe a little bit differently, but their long-term memory is still so evident. And the best thing in the world is to be able to go back to their long-term memory where they learn to do arts and crafts or draw or paint, but also to share their stories. So you have to be able to elicit that information, and that is exactly what a teacher does. She gets information back from the children or the people that she or he are working with to have an enjoyable experience. So even... Like just a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, we did Anzac Day and all my people were children during the war. But they loved to share the story of when the little subs came into Sydney Harbour and there was um, the war was in Sydney. And they don't look on it as anything traumatic. They looked at it through eyes of a child. And so we share these little stories about things uh, it's it's great. So eliciting long term memory from people who have who have dementia, but even just people who are older, and it's great. They'll also share series of stories about what they used to be able to do, like riding a horse to school. I mean, I don't know many children who do that today, but they remember that, or having to get up early and milk a cow, or having to deal with uh, some of the issues that you deal with as a child, which maybe they don't, young people today don't experience. So it's um, getting those memories back and writing about them. But you can see the look on their face as they start to remember something that happened when they were very young. The the, the power of reminiscence, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what I'm getting from this interview so far, you've got so much wisdom and experience and wealth to share with the listeners. What would you say would be your main message for your colleagues? My main message for my colleagues is attend every course you can. Um, Listen to podcasts because you're going to pick up just one or two things that are really relevant to your work. And that and that uh, is not so hard to do. 
spoke about it earlier. You we said you did. picked up a couple of I, I, from this I, podcast. I, I, the, the most recent one is about lying. And I just found that so relevant because you've got to listen to uh, your client. And of course, you don't want to remind them of something that terrible happened in their life, like their mother passing away. You just divert their interest. Uh, you don't tell them that their mother has died. And that happens so often that they, they go back to the past and they think they need to do something. They have this, it's, I suppose the textbooks call it sundowning, although I don't know that I particularly like that word, but you'd be able to say to them, well, okay, let's just have a, as you said in your podcast, um, Let's just have a little snack before we go and prepare for the fact that you've got to go and pick up the children. It's, it's, it's just another way of dealing with people who, um, go back in, go back to, go back to their experiences and sometimes they go back to traumatic experiences. Um, one of the other things that I haven't mentioned anywhere else, be very careful of getting people's memories that are really, really traumatic, like war survivors, Holocaust survivors, people who've been through torture, et cetera, say from South America so or from Afghanistan. So if you have older people, you really need to know that social history. So the message is get your education because wherever you are learning it, you will learn the importance of social history that you need to have. And you need to know your clients that you're working with. And that is what you will learn to use good language. You will understand through your academic learning what is important. Um, you will learn about the parts of the brain and understand what is happening to a person when they do have a mental health issue or they have dementia. Uh, so my look around for courses. Some of the courses at the moment are free. Podcasts sometimes, uh, certainly Ju Julia's podcasts are free. Listen to them, make the most of them. But also if you can get into university and do distance education um, or enroll at university uh, in Western Sydney, Get there, give yourselves a go and look on diversional therapy as a profession and take a professional attitude towards it and hopefully you will um, you will not only enjoy it but you will be successful. Yeah, and you will get a deeper understanding of the behaviours that you see. And as we spoke, you know, before this interview also about which part of the brain is activated, how is it responding? Exactly. And you never can overlearn it because you might forget for five minutes about which part of the brain it is that controls, um, say the, that is controlled by the, say the frontal lobe. So, you know, you need to revise and you might do the same topic more than once. It doesn't matter. You can never overlearn something. And each teacher that you get and each lecturer that you get or educator is going to teach it slightly differently. So the power of the mind is very, very important. Mm, absolutely. So Loretta, what type of skills do you teach recreational staff with your books and your training programs? 
Well, first of all, I do try to teach them some just simple practical activities that are going to work, like the one I described to you about colouring a picture. Yep. Just a, taking a topic that might that you might teach in an ordinary art class and adapting it right down, adapting it to making the activity adult, not childish. So that works in art with reminiscing, uh, bringing in a teaching aid uh, and something that will help people remember. So that's uh, one of the things I just brought in today for fun uh, to share with you is I've got this little tin and in this little tin uh, it used to hold a spark plug. So I show that to men in their 80s and 90s. It's um, it's got a champion tin, it's called. And they'll look at it and say, oh, yes, that's what we used for spark plugs. Now, men in their 80s and 90s looked after their cars and they would have known how to change a spark plug. So for a woman, I might have bought in a pair of stockings or some perfume. So I just bring in things uh, and I show my students that it's just something simple that will spark a memory. So we've always got to have a teaching aid. And it can be, it must appeal to different senses. So yes, sure, you can use TV. And visual, smell, taste, just smelling Vicks Vapor Rub is going to bring a memory of what happened when you were sick and your mother would rub it on your chest. So you've got to have aids. And so I'd bring in a whole lot of teaching aids to my students uh, and how to elicit those memories. And then, of course, there's uh, music activities and how to get the right music. Don't assume that Andre Rio is going to be loved by everybody. They may hate him, but they might love Elvis. You need to know how to analyse what music is going to appeal to your particular group of people. They might be only interested in classical music and then you can find a lovely concert for them on YouTube and they can watch Beethoven's Ninth or they can watch a musical like Carousel or Oklahoma. So you really, really need to be able to, in that social history somewhere, know about your residents and bring them together. Or you might have a group of people that all speak Greek, then run a Greek group. So just teaching them, teaching them some practical skills on getting that social history right and then making a plan and then being able to at the end uh, when you've put it into action look at what you've done and be able to say yes it worked no it didn't be able to be analytical about what you've done with your um people so i'm teaching staff to be critical and to reflect on practice so what i'm getting from you is that despite all your you know experience and all your knowledge and and your success you still find sometimes you might have uh, barriers with clients and some people might like something so they might like a visual tool that will elicit um you know pleasant memory for them but sometimes you still uh come across uh more challenges or... Yes. Yeah. That's why uh, certain facilities will perhaps highlight, don't, you know, do, don't talk to this resident about a certain topic because it's going to elicit very unhappy memories. A person, uh, 
who's been a victim of um, sexual abuse uh, or anything like that. So it should be in the history. And as we are advancing with our attitudes towards people of different genders, you need to know that information. Is it right? Is it wrong? What can we talk about? It's really, really important. And so, Loretta, you, you're running art classes at a facility near you. What benefits do you see in the clients who are engaging in this activity? I think the benefit is this. Number one, they look forward to it and they're there for me. I don't have to extract them from anywhere. The nurses are very good and they say, oh, Loretta's teaching today. I'll make sure this person comes or that person comes. Now, I have them in a room and we're around the table, uh, but there are a few people who choose not to sit at the table because they're happy to sit where they're sitting and they have their own little table. But they, they look forward to it. And that's really good because they're looking forward. They know that they're going to have a pleasant experience. So I think that, that people need to know uh, and it does take time. Don't expect everybody to love you the minute they meet you. It takes time to build relationships uh, with people who are your residents or your clients. Give yourself time. But I, I know that I know I'm looking forward to it because I know too as their group leader or therapist, I'm going to have a good time too. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your key message for your listeners, specifically now talking about this feedback and being open to positive and negative feedback? What would be your key message to, to the listeners? The key message is always have a plan. If the plan doesn't work, throw it out the window and adapt that plan, but document that it worked or it didn't work, and then improvement. So how could I have done it better than I did today because today was a complete flop? You've got to actually be able to write that in the documentation with the correct language. So you've always got to have feedback and you've got to improve yourself by being analytical getting educated and look at and join, if you possibly can, join your association, uh, but even if it's by Zoom, getting ideas. Uh, ATA is certainly a good place to be. There's also the coordinators page. So continually learn and, in, and enjoy what you're doing because if you enjoy it, you're more than likely to be successful. Oh, that's beautiful. Loretta, where can we learn more about you? Well, I have a website with a whole lot of free ideas on it. Uh, so you can uh, get some ideas for yourself. You can um, get some down. I uh, have, I, you can just find my details on my website, which is lorettacaldor.com.au. And you can send me a message, send me an email. I will send you a catalogue. Um, you might like to uh, download some things. Some of my resources are now only downloadable. Uh, and send me an email and we'll be in touch. We'll chat. Uh, I'm always happy to help people. 
um, if they're having some difficulty uh, getting getting help because I'd like to share my experiences. So that's the way to go. Thank you so much, Loretta. What a privilege to finally interview you and hear all about your wonderful experience and your education and all the resources that you share with our audience. I will provide all the details uh, for the listeners to be able to uh, follow you through. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Age Care Done and Dusted. Make sure you don't miss out when I release another episode by becoming a subscriber on your app of choice. And if you can, please leave a review too. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. Now, the next thing you need to do is go straight over to wisecare.com.au forward slash resources and check out my latest resources you can download for free. It could be a book chapter, 20 strategies to boost engagement with elders, or my most popular resource, Five Facts About Me worksheet. You'll be sure to find them all there, wisecare.com.au forward slash resources. I'll see you at the next episode.